I don't right. have to say I'm a I'm a guy. I only eat fish. I only eat meat. I only eat this. I, I don't have to. I can actually regulate my frequency of my right. intake to get whatever my body requires. But over the, to over and above that, I don't have to graze. I'm not a cow. I don't have four stomachs. I right. don't have to eat all day long. And so when I what, that's what I I love about what you're saying. All right, here we are today it, with an exciting guest we have, and. I think before you even think of introducing George, I got to catch up. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm well, sir. How are you? I am. I couldn't be better. And if I even attempted to, um, I still wouldn't. I don't think I could do justice by trying to articulate it in words. And so let me say this to you. It's a new year. And in 2023, I'm sure you have a lot of things going your, that are you aspire to do and all that. I'm intrigued by today's guest because it crosses over and embarks upon a part of our nation that we don't really touch on much, or as much as we should. And so why don't you go ahead in a few minutes, not yet, I'm gonna want you to introduce this to our guests, but before we do, I need to ask you this question. This is probably a little personal for the podcast, but I got, do you ever hear of this song called, I think it's George or Georgie Boy by Rod Stewart? It came out in the, in the 70s, mid 70s. Uh, I believe I've heard it. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I can't recite the lyrics to you or anything like that. You don't want to do that. Right, right. Where are you going with this? Yeah. I just wonder if you know, because there's a lot of, there's not too many George songs. You know, there's Midnight Train to Georgia, but that's not the same, or Georgia, right? That's not the same. So the Georgia one, I just thought it was unique. I didn't mean it. I'm off course here already, uh, but I can't help it because uh, with our guests, we'll be on course the rest of the night. And maybe near the end, I might go over some of the lyrics if you're trying to laugh too hard. Um, but in, in all seriousness, I think it's important as we think about different parts of the United States, what has made our country strong through a host of wars, uh, through uh, trials and tribulations with things like civil rights, through pandemics, more than one, we have the great pleasure of having a guest who has everything to do with something that much of our world um, has a hard time getting a hold of. And we have something, I think, in our nation that uh, a lot of the world would love to have. That's food at our resources like this. They could, we could just get to it any kind, good, bad, or ugly. And what really is the driving force behind it? Farming, no doubt. I could think back even 30 years ago, George, when we had their first farm aid. I, as a young man, I didn't really understand what it was about. And I later traveled much of the world when I realized food and water come at a premium. Uh, quality food and water is very rare as you begin to expand away from the United States and other Western countries. So tell us a little bit about our guests and what, what excites you about um, having her on. Yeah, so our guest is uh, John K. Squires. And um, well, well, before I you am... give her the names, I don't really want to give that up yet, but you gave the name. But what? tell me a little bit about what excites you about her before you go into oh, well, that well, stuff. I want to I mean, know. Yeah. So, uh, apologies, <laughs> sir. I'm just saying, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, want, I don't want to spring it on him. I want to know what, why her, right? We can, there's all kinds of guests we have here. Why, why her? What excites you about this guest in relationship yeah, so, to anything? So I got an education when it comes to um, the uh, beef that we eat. You know, you hear all these things, I feel, at least on my part, there's a lot of confusion, right? As mm -hmm. far as, you know, the grades of beef and, you know, you hear these 
grass fed, grass finished, you know, what, what all that stuff means. So we you mean they're not just marketing terms? Uh, no, cage free and and grass fed. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like my wife's husband. <laughs> uh, so so uh, there is a. This makes a huge difference as far as the quality of the okay. food that you eat, right? And okay. obviously, you want the best quality that you can afford. So, but um, this person, which. I'll share in a minute, will give us an education on that. So she is uh, an expert in the business. So um, wow. let me go ahead and kind of introduce her to okay. our audience. So uh, Johnna K. Squires works a full-time job in the agricultural business, coordinating for a career technical school in South Central Oklahoma where she works daily with agricultural entrepreneurs making their dreams come true. She also has another full-time job as a co-owner with her mom and brother of a small 203-acre family farm called DJ Horton Farms, and it's just about 30 minutes south of Oklahoma City. Uh, on this farm, they raise cattle, hay, pecans, flowers, uh, and herbs that they sell at uh, the Norman Farmer's Market through their Hoots Agri-Market. She is also a wife and mom of three grown kids. Uh, her grown kids also work in agriculture and she is a proud uh, mother. She is a grandmother of uh, three kids or she has three grandkids, I guess I should say. Wow. That well, she's still proud. Come on, man. She's a grandma. She's proud. She's proud. She's with that. Come on. <laughs> of course she's proud. So, <laughs> uh, without further ado, Johnny K, welcome to the program. Wow. Great, great to be here, guys. <laughs> it's a pleasure. So, I don't know. George said something about raising hay and all that stuff. I heard of raising hell and raising sand, but <laughs> raising hay, that's a new one. Uh, sorry, I couldn't pass it up. <laughs> well, well, hay is kind of like gold right now, so it's kind of like really. I yes, I thought I was going to have to sell a kidney to get some hay because we've all had a drought. A lot okay. of parts of the United States in a drought. In fact, I've got hay coming in from Canada. I'm not. Wow. Kidney. Wow. We're brokering hay, um, negotiating prices. We have been since last fall. So, well, yeah. well, tell me so, something. Hey, it's not just for horses. It's for I cattle. I get it now, right. <laughs> really high-priced grass, for sure. It might surpass the other commodity right now. The other grass. Price, <laughs> the price, price per ton. So um, definitely, definitely challenging for agriculturalists as we're trying to find hay to feed cattle this year. So wow. an another part of the fun adventure of having the farm. Well, I think it's interesting to me. So you, you're ordering it from Canada. Um, what's your geography? You're South Central, which means you're what? A couple hours from Texas? Right, right. We've we've been buying hay all over the United States this year. I've had three loads come in from Louisiana. We've had hay come in from Texas. The problem is a lot of us in the well, quite a bit of the United States have had drought, especially yeah. in the South. You look at cattle numbers and where they're at, a lot of us are having to buy feed outside of where we live. And so um, there for a while, we had hay coming in from Colorado, Montana. That hay went pretty quickly. So now it's even getting further north out of Canada. So, um, and this is significant because with the drought, it means you have restrictions on watering, making right. sure that you can you know hydrate right. your crops. 
Right. Right. Well, right. What happened was, you know, we didn't have the rainfall. Uh, a lot of us cut our herds back really drastically this fall. I know you guys probably saw on the news, you know, there was lines and lines of people in Texas and Oklahoma hauling cattle off because they didn't have feed or they didn't have water. I mean, it was wow. one things. Um, in August, we didn't think we were going to have pasture. We got some more rain. We got some pasture then. Um, usually we have winter pasture, winter wheat. Um, you know, we'll graze wheat down here and then we'll also harvest it. So, you know, it's a dual purpose crop, but when you don't have rain, you don't, you don't have wheat, you don't have grass, you know, it's, it impacts a lot of different components to agriculture. And so, it's it's been a struggle. We're definitely in a in a drought cycle, and it's this one's been pretty severe because it's been um, more parts of the country have been impacted during even this during one. this mild winter across the country for the most well, part. Well, and you know, luckily we're glad we've had a mild winter because you know when we have a bad cold snap, we feed twice to three times as much hay, but then we don't have the moisture. You know. Oh so my it's, gosh! It's I didn't think about that. Good and bad thing, you know. You don't want the cold, but you want the you want some precipitation. So, I mean, it's a struggle. It's a juggling act, but we all that's a part of. I always tell people if you like a challenge and you like to gamble, you need to just come to the farm, skip mm -hmm. going, to, you know, and buying your lottery tickets. But well, this I think this can translate into a lot of things. You know, I was always taught that hey, look, if you want to eat healthy, it's going to be pretty expensive, right? It's right. a lot more expensive than eating, you know, junk. Now right. I can see just if you were looking for quality beef, for those of you that eat meat, I love meat, so I'm going to tell you right away, uh, it means to get a quality steak or a quality burger, the prices are probably up now or hasn't it yet? Is there like a rebound or a delay or latency to that? Uh, the prices have been up, but for beef, we really haven't. It hasn't gone up. It hasn't gone up in terms of what you would think it might with the inventory shrinking a little bit. You know, we've, okay. we've reached our numbers, but it, it hasn't gone out the roof like you've seen eggs, right? You yeah, know, you're eggs here, is dry. And you see people look dumbfounded in the egg compartment. Almost $10 for a carton of eggs. Okay. And I get tickled. And that's where I'm like, you want me to pass out a card? I got neighbors that'll sell them to you for four and five bucks and probably deliver them, you know, and used to they would think the local farmer was too high at four and five bucks a dozen, you know? Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting, mm. um, you know, the supply chain and what's going on. The beef industry really hasn't had a significant, we've been up there, the market stayed pretty stable. Mm -hmm. And you know, surprisingly, we haven't seen the demand drop off, even though beef prices have remained relatively consistent or maybe higher, you know, than normal, but, mm -hmm. um, the demand's still there. You know, people still want to eat beef and those that want quality beef, um, maybe they're they're adjusting or giving up some other things to okay. still have in their diet. And so we haven't seen that demand go down, which is good. You know, we, we want to keep it up there. So, but we do know that, you know, supply, demand, and price always impacts what happens in terms of the local consumer. So. For us at Fun Fit and Fasting, there's a direct correlation between what you do and what's how this the, the climate and temperatures affect the cost of things or even you guys getting hay. It translates over into our world into like, you know what? It takes all we can to try to eat within a framework of things that are going to be more natural and not so processed and all those types of things. And right. so, um, you know, George and I were just talking about it. It's, you know, we're going through 
a 28 day challenge where we're trying to work and work with ourselves, but also with other people so that we can not miss, we can stay consistent with it. And so George, uh, George has a few questions that okay. um, he's be careful because he's very tough. He may be tough. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, related to what you do. And for those of us that we have people who are part of the fun, fit and fasting crew who are some of our, what they call them, pescatarian, you know, it almost sounds like some sort of religion, right? Um, <laughs> then we have the, the vegans and we have, but we have a lot of who are certainly low carb, high protein, and so right. forth. So it, there's a great tie-in. George, take it away and don't go easy on her. She's look, she's so lovely today. Well, don't mess her up. She's got the yeah, golden doodle. I mean, I'll, I'll try. Yeah, go uh, easy on her. <laughs> so, you know, I, I know we've had uh, conversations, John and Kay, as far as I had no idea what it go, what goes into bringing cattle to market, right? As far as, right. so would you just mind walking us through that? Uh, especially when we're talking grass fed, grass finished, and you shared uh, in previous conversations what we've had and just looking at your website, some of the stuff that that goes into uh, bringing our beef to our tables. Please right. share. It's, it's definitely a process that you know, it doesn't happen quickly because from the time of conception, let's say you're talking nine and a half, we're talking 10 months on um, breeding those cows um, until they have a calf. Then we're going to have that calf. We're going to wean them at six months. Then we're going to feed them. And if we feed them to bring you high quality beef, uh, whether you do it by grass or you do it by grain, which um I'm a big advocate that you understand both of those processes and the flavor profiles and the genetics, because there are genetics behind the cattle that we raise in this country. And they all have great characteristics and some lend themselves to have other characteristics versus some others. And so can you give us a few examples? Yeah, we want to match those genetics to the environment. So for example, if, if I have, we, we have dairy cattle, right? And, mm -hmm. and a lot of kids, when they, dairy animals they'll say oh my gosh mom that cow looks anorexic it looks skinny right you see their bones mm -hmm. they're very thin they're not fleshy right they're not right. what we would call fatty patties okay right so um it's because they are to produce milk so all of that energy goes into making milk production uh, right okay. and that's at a those black and white cattle we call those holsteins you know, sometimes little kids may call them a Dalmatian cow because they don't know what they are. Um, Holsteins are known genetically for high milk production. Um, their butter fat is, is very um, used to. You got paid on butter fat as well as total volume of milk. Mm -hmm. And so the higher the fat, the more they got for a price per pound for that milk or 100 pounds. So every breed has certain characteristics that they bring to the table and you genetically can utilize that in matching to your environment. Okay. So I raise beef cattle. So I want cattle that can convert grass or mm -hmm. grain efficiently into a high quality meat product. And so, you know, we had a little discussion on that about marbling and, you know, mm -hmm. putting on fat that's intramuscular fat, which gives us that flavor and that tenderness when you and I get a fillets or a New York strip or, you know, even the eye of your T-bone. Mm -hmm. um, you see little white flecks of fat in there, and we call that marbling. And that okay. is fat that gets put on what we call intramuscular fat. 
And so that's the last, that's the last place where fat will go is inside the muscle. Okay. So it, you know, the animal's going to put it around the outside. Um, then it's going to go to the inside. And so that's that last 60, 90, you know, when we take the cattle and whether we grain fit, you know, we grain feed them, or if you do grass fed, they've got to go longer if they're going to have more fat or, you're just not getting the same fat profile. Okay. Okay. And so I'm, I prefer mine with grain. I like to have fat in there. I want some flavor. I want it to be tender with some moisture to it. And that fat does give it that. And so, um, we could, could, could you our- talk about the grass finished. Uh, you said, so, um, not to interrupt you, John and Kay. No, no, you're too okay. late. Right. So, so a lot of people have a myth of grasses, grass fed is better than grain fed or it's healthier for you. And I, I guess my thing is this, remember this, cattle are a forage grass <clears throat> eating factory. They have four stomachs. They basically take in the forage. They have these little microbial bacteria in their stomach, which works to help break down that forage, that cellulose that they eat. Okay. And they also regurgitate that to help break it down. Right. And that's right. the cut, right? That that's the, the cut. cut. That's two yeah. in the cut. You got it. Yeah. You're do- great. Great. You're getting an A plus right there. Um, but yes. And, that, and so that's that's a part of what makes them unique as an animal. OK, you and I are not we don't have four stomachs. Thank God. We have a small mm, intestine, know. a large intestine. Uh, some you people. Know, but but I don't typically regurgitate and chew my food two or three times, or I try not to anyway, for the most part. Um, But that gives them that capability to break down a lot of things that you and I typically wouldn't eat. And um, 90% of a lot of their diet is a grass forage type of diet. Okay. Even when we put them in a grain finished operation, you're talking 60, 90, 120 days there's only so much grain they can eat. A lot of that ration, you want to call it, okay. is going to have a lot of forage in there to balance out the fat. They can't <clears throat> eat pure, they cannot be on a corn-based diet totally. All right? They're never right. eating candy and soda pop all day long. Can you eat candy and soda pop all day long and not get sick? No. Probably not. No. Okay? Cattle can't either. Um, they got to have forage. Um, they are a forage animal. We give them that grain to add some fat, to add some flavor, to get those cattle fleshier. Um, we don't want to waste money on it. You know, it's a fine science of having that ration. That ration is going to have alfalfa pellets mixed in with some corn, oats. I mean, there's a variety of things that get mixed in there. Um, and so, again, there's a science to that diet, and there's a science to adding those genetics. Um, you've heard about, we've talked about CAB, Certified Angus. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a breed that they started marketing those cattle. They knew those cattle finished pretty well um, genetically. Um, there is science now behind genetics and how cattle put on fat, how they do marbling, how big their ribeyes are. There's a ton of, we ultrasound cattle for that information. Wow. Um, purebred people that raise cattle and register those cattle, they have that access to that genetic information and they make selections on that. Like my husband works for a very large operation, Express Ranches. 
Um, they are one of the largest seed stock producers in the United States. That's purebred Angus registered cattle. So they're running 4,500, 6,500 head of cattle that they register. They keep up with their genetics. Um, they look at the science. They look at ultrasound in those cattle. They look at those cattle when they've been killed. Um, there's a ton of information we gather and can gather about the livestock industry now that we couldn't do 10 and 20 years ago. It's, it's fascinating. I mean, there's, it's just like you and I can take blood tests and man, it can tell you a lot of things. And now yeah. we can say, Oh, you're going to have maybe a precursor to this type of cancer. Oh, you know, yeah, there was hypertension in your family, but John, your blood test is showing this, this, and this. So it goes back to, again, if a high protein diet can help me not have diabetes, um, you know, again, matching animals and genetics to our environment means we're doing more, we're being more efficient with our resources and we're maximizing the science. And it's just like our bodies. There's certain things we consume and we run great, right? You feel right. better when you eat protein than you do when you eat, when we eat sugar, right? We weren't, we weren't designed to eat all of one thing. I mean, I think we need a balance of things, but I think you've seen it. You've seen the weight loss with the protein, but you've also seen the energy. You've probably seen the thinking capability. Yes. Um, I get, I get hangry. So I need a little protein beef yeah. jerky or a little stick or just like, fat, baby. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, you know, you learn those things, but right. again, again, those are important things to know. And so I think as a beef consumer, the more, you know, your producer and you guys, you know, I didn't share my story, but my mom was a home economist. My dad was an agriculture education teacher. And we grew up on a small farm, 10 acres. We had chickens, we had pigs, we had cattle. I was stupid, wanted sheep. Um, we raised it, you killed it, you ate it, you learned how to do all that. It, and it wasn't a science experiment. And it wasn't a weekend wow. trip to grandma's. Like you did that to have food on the table. And um, sometimes I resented that as I grew up a little bit because other kids would be out playing and I'm picking green beans in the garden and we're canning them. And that didn't seem so glorious. You know what right. I mean? It was, it was a way of life, but my parents also educated people about those things. And as I grew up, I later became an agriculture instructor myself in an urban area. I taught a lot of urban kids about agriculture and farming. And mm -hmm. there was, there was a value system there was a love of the land. There was the thing that there's life cycles, things die. Um, there was an understanding of nurturing um, animals and plants, um, balancing all of that back to nature. And so there was a true love really instilled in me and with my family's legacy of educating people about that industry. And I, I still feel it today to the core that some of the best people on this planet have agricultural roots their handshake means something if you and i are stuck on the side of the road or we need a help or pull me out of a ditch or come help me today they're mm -hmm. going to be there and you can't you don't always trust people and you don't always feel like you have people that care yeah. about you and have your back and so that whole value system also goes into our food production and for those of us that are small producers <clears throat> We still want to give you what we think is the best of the best. If it's good enough for my family, it's I want it to be good enough for yours. And we're not about profit because if we were, there would be more than 2% of us feeding the rest of the people in the United States. 
So it's it's not a we're getting rich in farming. Right. You're you're getting rich in a value system. You're rich by having land and ownership and and having something when you go to bed at night you can sleep. Because do you, you find have- it do you find it ironic that oftentimes the hidden marketing messages kind of it doesn't do it intentionally, but it kind of negates a lot of the things that you were talking about. Uh, for oh. example, the United States went through this thing where this marketing campaigns were lean, 80% more lean, all these things. They were like literally digging into the way that farmers and agriculturists like yourself would be raising cattle to give it more flavor and more substance within your meat. Um, I think of that because it's really hard to find uh, at your local store if you're going to buy ground beef or something like that. It's really difficult to find it without them advertising 75% more lean, 80% more lean. Look, I just want ground beef. So I'm curious, Does it have, do you find it ironic that occasionally marketing campaigns that can often t- last longer than a decade can interfere with some of the, f- the flow of how you guys operate? Oh, you know, here's the deal. I mean, I think that's happened. We talked about this before. Um, we know those mixed messages are out there and they're mm-hmm. even mixed messages within in our own group, within our own producers, okay. and people truly understanding it. But, you know, we talked about before, you know, in the seventies when margarine was pushed in this oh, country, yeah. you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's the best, it's the most healthiest. It's, you know, it's, it's got the great mm-hmm. fat want. And the reality was it didn't, it was mm-hmm. a marketing ploy. It wasn't as good as butter. It, mm-hmm. the dairy industry took a big hit. Um, and then the reality was later the research said, no, nope. butter is way better for you than this parquet and margarine. And um, what are what are you doing? And, you know, there's a part of that. Sometimes you want people to my deal is know your producers, ask questions. And you asked a great one on, you know, even lean can be when they promote lean versus fat. But, here, you know, here's the deal. When we grind up like ground beef, um, if I grind up a cow versus a steer that I've got, that's been, um, that's fat and it's a castrated bull, right? We, mm-hmm. we've, can I say all this? Yeah, you're, you're fine. <laughs> hey kids, go to bed, go to bed. Kids. Can I, is this PG 13? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. So, so we, we castrate our males. Okay. And we do that because, um, they will put on fat. We change up that testosterone com- component because when you're a bull, you're going to produce more. Um, you have a tendency to be a little, you get leaner, right? Right, right. Okay. So we think, you know, you think about that in terms of an athlete or you think about that. In, and so when we're trying to get cattle fat, um, again, you know, a fatted steer is going to have, his ground beef's going to be fatter than what a lean cow might have been. Okay. So, mm-hmm. For example, when we sell ground hamburger at the farmer's market, we've got some of those that's leaner. So I have customers that want a 90-10, a 95-5, meaning it's 90% um, hamburger ground beef, but maybe 5% fat, right? And an mm-hmm. older cow is going to be leaner, okay? Typically, sure. unless, unless for some reason she hadn't had any calves, she's been mm-hmm. just super fat and sassy, probably not been very productive if she's if she's fat she's not having calves for you okay okay um and so she'll have a leaner profile of ground beef all right if they mix more trimmings or fat into that hamburger 
then you can make it fatter, right? You can have a 70-30, right? So again, even your butchering and your processing can change those profiles. And another thing I want to mention, because I feel like a lot of people get kind of hot. We import a lot of beef in this country as well as we export beef, okay? And I don't... I always get people that ask me, aren't you mad that we import beef and we're not consuming all of yours? And I said, nope, because I don't want mine at the dollar menu at a, uh, local, chain, yeah. a local chain. Let that be that Argentina beef that's mixed in with some trimmings and maybe it's fatter. I want mine at a high-end steakhouse yeah. or yeah. Over, over to Japan and China for t twice the price. Right. Okay. So... I want to create a demand for my product that allows me to sell it at a higher price value, right? Mm -hmm. And so we do we do import beef for some of our chains, some of our different product lines that as a consumer, mine can get more money somewhere else as a producer. And so that's important to know because we have a lot of producers in the industry too. They'll get a little butthurt and be like, well why are we importing beef? And I'm like, I want them to import. You should want them to import because you and I want to export and we want to sell to certain markets. Oh, and we want I love to it. Yep. Premium. So understanding we are a global society. And one of the things that's so awesome about agriculture in the United States, we are so good at it, too good at it, to be honest with you. If we sucked at it, we'd be getting more money for it and there would be a premium being paid okay right, we right. are efficient it's very cheap because it's cheap you can have a boat you can have an rv in this country you can have all these yeah. other luxury items you're not worried about 65 percent of every dollar going to food right you're less than 20 cents it used to be 17 cents i'm not going to say that now with the current economic <laughs> but but used to years. for a long time we were right there at about 17 cents out of every dollar was what we we would spend on what we would say disposable food and so we've been the bread basket for the united states we are also feeding a lot of other countries and we want to be a global <gasps> A global economy you know because we yeah. want to be we want to be able to do that because that gives us some leverage with our products can you tell me a little bit about like for example i always wondered this and maybe some others so maybe some of our listeners are george probably already knows the answer right but if let's suppose you have 75 cattle on your 200 acre ranch right <clears throat> as an example today by Three months from now, some of those have already gone through and been a part of the process for, you know, the whatever you call that process when they go to be, they're mature harvested. enough. Harvested. Harvested. There you go. And right. you have the new cattle that right. have come in. Do you have a, is it, is it natural to, do you have an equilibrium that happens around that number? So, you know, you start getting higher than that. You go ahead and you harvest, then you already have the new ones coming in. How does that work? How do you manage that? So we, we have cattle fall and spring. So we're, we're calving twice a year. Okay. okay. So words. And, and then a lot of people in the United States may do this. Some people may calve once, you know, a certain season for them works better. Okay. Uh, we do both. We're small. We need the cash flow because mm -hmm. I'm not running into the bank and borrowing money every time to get Hello. me through that. Yep. Uh, so we, we have cattle spring and fall. 
Um, we can synchronize those cows. We can AI those cows. We can turn the bull out with those cows so we can have a window of when we're having those cattle. So then I can wow. say, okay, I've had these cattle these three, four months. When they're six months from now, they're going to go ahead and be put in the feed yard. Then they'll be ready to, it's a process and it's planning. What's a typical shelf life before harvest, or I shouldn't say shelf life, but lifespan or life cycle um, from birth to harvest? Probably from birth to harvest, you're talking 14 to 18 months if they're coming to you as, as a fresh meat product. If, if, if I'm if I'm doing my job, genetics are right, environmentally in terms of feed, water, and health. Herd health is huge. Um, I got to get a live calf here, right? Mom's got to do her job so I can wean it. I got to do my job because, again, we've got to we're treating these cattle for worms. We're making sure these cattle don't get sick. Right. Uh, you know, there's a lot into that. But the the better I do my job, mm-hmm. uh, the better they're going to do their job. Uh, and if they've if I've selected the right genetics and I can have them ready at 14 to 16 months, that's that's a home run for me. Sometimes they might be on that 17 to 18 months. Again, it depends on genetics. But here's the deal. We're going to learn. We have a fast learning curve because we want to get those cattle finished the most efficiently and on the least amount of resources because all those resources cost me money and time. Right? Hay's golden right now. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's prudent to me to know the genetics. It's prudent for me to study up on making that bull selection. It's huge selecting who's going to breed my cows. Am I going to artificially inseminate? and select genetics that ramp up my herd quicker, faster, better. Um, without putting the herd at risk, without right. compromising their quality right. of health. Right. There's a, I, I would have never guessed, it's embarrassing because I just had never had a reason I'm not from that environment, to think that there was so much of science. Oh, Before I ever take my first bite of my meal, to think <laughs> of, I mean, I'm, really, I mean, that's, that's, it says a lot about what we can, often end up taking for granted just because it's not our wheelhouse. And so, wow, I'm just in awe so far. Just amazing. Well, it, and I think you can attribute that, and I'm going to kind of bring this up too. You know, we had several legislations in the late 1800s and early 1900s um, that created the land-grant schools. So every state almost had a land-grant college, and their their assigned task was you're going to have an agriculture department. You're going to help people to grow food, do research. Right. Because if you have food, you're not going to have anything else. Right. I, I can get you to be a banker, but if you can't eat every day, so what about running numbers, right? Right, right, of course. So, so the country as a whole, surprisingly, you know, we had people agree and pass legislation. One of them was the Moral Act. There was there were several of these that said we're going to have schools that do research and provide training opportunities in every state about agriculture. Okay, and that was that's how we got the land grant colleges. So any of those that used to be what you would say like Texas A and M, Oklahoma A and M, any of those that were like A and M's, and at most and every. At one time, we had one in every state, okay? Mm-hmm. And they still do a ton of research and science on animal agriculture, plant plant science, crop science, you name it. That's a part of some funding 
that was established back in the 1800s and continues today. So you hear cooperatives. Thank God for Teddy Roosevelt, by the way. Yeah, he was a big there, one of the main was, people behind that. There was a bunch of them that, you know, had that inception and that idea. And Robert that, Frost, that, a couple that others. Was that was wise. I mean, yeah. you know, that's where like George Washington Carver, when he did all the peanut and so much research with that industry alone, a lot of that was sped through land grant colleges and that's so interesting universities that joined their collaboration. And then on the beef industry side, I want to kind of make a plug. So there's checkoff dollars, which there's like 22 commodities. So like sugar, rice, beef, pork, chicken, for every animal we sell, there's a dollar that goes into marketing and it's called beef checkoff dollars. And so they do research, they do marketing, um, they do some education. They work with a lot of dietitians, like in our state, one of the big things is working with dietitians on meat and beef is healthy. It's not a, it's sure. not a bad thing to have. And so they are additional marketing dollars that's out there that we contribute as a producer. Every time we sell an animal, a dollar goes to the checkoff program. And so that's another way that there's being education. And so when people want to look up reputable, uh, and I'm yeah. going to say credible, reputable, I'm going to tell you, look at your land grant research, look at beef checkoff because they've, they can't do the research themselves. They'll partner or have a university that will do it. Somebody else is doing that research and providing that. So if you want to look up some stuff, those are some places to start to look at. No and if kidding. you follow study, like there's a gal in Arkansas, she's a meat scientist. She mm -hmm. does a great blog. Um, again, you know, go to reputable people that are in the industry. Don't just listen to your neighbor or somebody down the street that just, I don't know, read yeah, something. Right. Somebody just was surfing Facebook and grabbed some quick info. Well, and you know, it's so funny you say that because we had a producer post some pictures of beef and she was bashing a little bit on the store-bought beef. And another lady came in and said, I don't know why you're bashing that because we got to have it because you want to sell your beef also somewhere else. Right. And there's a place for all of us at the table. Yeah. And, you know, again, even as producers within the industry, we need to get our facts straight. And sometimes we make it confusing because we don't always know everything. And we need to be doing a better job of being educated about our product if we aren't, you know, being immersed in it. That's a great segue. So, so, so what I'd like to, Johnny K, you gave some really good information. And so what we'll do is we'll put some of those links in the notes so right. that uh, people can, um, you know, look that up on their own. But um, we certainly use your help with that. So thank you. No, not a problem. I don't mind at all. I yeah. think that there's, that's a, there's a great segue here. At Funfin Fasting, you know, uh, it's an interesting thing that certainly I'm not a doctor. George may be one. Um, but don't play one either. <laughs> there's a lot, there's just like in your industry, <clears throat> in agriculture industry, there's a lot of misinformation or people with unconfirmed facts happens in this arena all the time. That's why we do like the preface. Um, certainly you can look up and do your own research, but I just think it's interesting how sometimes the misinformation is trinkled down because there's right. just not enough time or there's not been enough data yet. We have those who eat what they eat and they will stand by it. And if you don't eat the same thing, you're pretty much sacrilegious 
because you're not a vegan or because you're not a low carb or because you're not a keto or because you're not a, you know, whatever it may be. And we put ourselves in these little groups based on some strong information that might be complementary to what we believe and or maybe right. confirm it a little bit, but not completely. So I just think it's interesting. It's all it's all kind of the same thing. You know, I don't I'm I can look back over the last 25 years or so. I could see a really hot commercial with a little bit of information in it. It gets me excited about this specific type of diet. But I do the diet without missing a T religiously in the don't lose anything. I'm the same. And then I hear a nutritionist talk about what type of things I can eat and how I should eat every couple of hours. You got to see this guy. Look how chiseled he is. You could do the same thing. You need a lot more carbs. You need it more often in order. And next, you know, I try that. Then all of a sudden I gain an extra 12 to 15 pounds. I'm just told. So all these things can begin to happen. And what I love about the idea of intermittent fasting is I don't I don't have to marry any of these girls. Excuse the expression. I really right. don't. I don't right. have to say I'm a I'm a guy. I only eat fish. I only eat meat. I only eat this. I, I don't have to. I can actually regulate my frequency of my right. intake to get whatever my body requires. But over the to, over and above that, I don't have to graze. I'm not a cow. I don't have four stomachs. I right. don't have to eat all day long. And so when I, what, that's what I, I love about what you're saying is we know that it happens not just in your industry. It happens just from government down. It happens from the bottom up. And we do this a lot. Now that we have social media, it's more rampant than ever. So I personally can see a great connection between healthy eating. I was relieved when I found out that I could live healthy without stopping eating meat. It doesn't mean someone else can't. They can do what they have to do, right? Someone else can be relieved that they don't have to um, uh, they don't have to eat meat and they can still be healthy. Everybody has a different thing, but I think what we can do do really well at is we take information and recognize the true diversity that exists. As you talked about genetics, our bodies are also very different. Mm -hmm. They're so very different at the cellular level. And right. what I cannot handle, you or George probably can handle very well. For example, right. I I have to make sure my blood counts are a certain way before I can go up in the air because of some issues right. I have with my oxygen. Everybody's right. got something different. So I love what you're saying because there's not a farmer or an agriculturist that can hear this and be offended at anything you've said. You've presented a fair balance and that I appreciate. So if you're listening as a, as a person who is, wants to age healthier and you want to find things you can embrace that will also embrace you, uh, I don't know if there's a better way to get great protein with the right balance of fats than doing it through meat, whether you're buying a quarter calf or whether you're buying your local steak. And that's one reason we invited Jonica here. We wanted to get some expertise so we're not just running off at the mouth as non-physicians, non-nutritionists, and non-experts. We wanted to make sure you get to hear from experts and what that we appreciate from your standpoint as an educator, as well as you're, you actually have your own farm and you do this, you grew up in it. Right. But not just picking your beans, but also you were there for the harvesting of even the cattle. So thank you. Well, I, I appreciate getting to be on. And I, I do think you're right that we've had a lot of and there's a there's a couple of people and I'll share some other references with you. But um, I always help students with speeches and FFA. And I'm a big believer in leadership. FFA, Future Farmers of America. Is that yeah. what? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so as agriculture teachers, that was our student organization that our kids could participate in. But my daughter wrote a speech and 
Um, one of the to topics was about food bullying, and there's actually a great author, Michelle Payne, talks about how in the industries there's been bullying and shaming that shouldn't have happened, whether we do it as consumers, producers, yeah, or whatever. It's definitely take a read at it and take a look at it, and I'll share that with you. I mean, I'm please not, do. Um, I, she just addresses a lot of things that even as farmers and producers, because I'll get shamed at the market because I'm very honest about we do grain, we do grass. My mm -hmm. cows are probably 99% grass fed, but I'm not going to put a sign that says they're grass fed. They're grass and grain fed. And Although, this, according to the FDA, you only have to have a certain, once you reach a certain percentage, you can say grass fed. It, right. But, but you so don't I, do that. You're, you're just integrable. I'm just saying that. I, there are those to, I want them to understand most of the most of what you're getting really is grass fed. Now, right. when you move to some other other components, but especially on hamburger and at the market, we can look at it. I mean, I can I can show you examples of even what I have right now, you know, with what we have. But um, again, we, we got to quit doing that even within our own industries. And just like I appreciate you sharing it with your podcast. And with people in your group, they don't all have to eat beef. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to like them. and I'm not going to support who they are and what they want to do and be. Right. Um, I just want you to understand what we're doing and how hard we're doing it. And the belief we we believe in what we're bringing you. And you, at the end of the day, you have a choice. And, and um, we invite <clears throat> people to come and see what we have and see how we operate our facility. Um, I call it the poor man's pasture palace. Nothing about what we do is fancier over the top, um, but it's the real deal. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? People get a sense of that feeling and that understanding. And so when they buy direct from me, it allows me to keep the land in agriculture, not a housing subdivision. Um, your dollars go to me. They go to a local guy three miles from the farm that processes your beef. Um, you drove 20 minutes instead of two hours or three hours or maybe five minutes, you know? Right. So, um, you know, we're wanting them to understand that whole process and that their, their money may be feeding five families, not just one family. And that that's important to us. And that's, we want to be appreciative for what those people are doing. And during COVID, I feel like people got scared about where their food was coming from. And all of a sudden you saw these people coming to us and saying, can I get my beef from you? I don't know if it's going to be in the grocery store. Do you wow. what do, you do to get on your list? And it's just like right now, you know, the egg market has exponentially went crazy. So people are never before. They're more than happy to pay $5 for eggs. When used to, they made the farmer feel like crap. For do it for selling them, yeah, yeah. For selling them that, and you know, you're going if it's, we're not getting rich. I promise you, we're not. Yeah, if right. I, if I show my balance sheet, you'd probably look at me and say, "Why are you doing this?" Um, and and at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people are afraid. They're afraid to raise their prices. They're afraid to charge you what it probably ought to be worth, because they know it's a struggle to pay that. You know what I mean? Like they're very conscientious. A lot of ag people don't like to price their things. <laughs> like they're very frugal. Typically a lot of them are so frugal. They're like, well, I wouldn't pay that. Why would I sell it for that? I mean, right. they have that mentality, you know what I mean? And so mm -hmm. it's one of those where it's like, well, you're not counting your labor and you're not counting your death loss and you're not counting the taxes and you're not. And so um, it, it is, it's, it's a change in a mindset too. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. so, 
to get young people or other people to come into agriculture, we do have to show that it's profitable and that it's it's got a different value system. And maybe those things are worth something. Maybe the therapy I get when I go to the farm and throw a tractor tire around or I see birth of animal and I get excited and I have pet therapy and I get to touch the baby calf and maybe that takes away the stress for the day and I don't go home and yell at my spouse and you know, right. whatever whatever might happen. So, you know, there's a balance that it brings to your life that I think the quality of life is important too. And it's hard to put a value on that. It's hard to put a dollar amount on that. I agree. I, I, from what I, what I understand, there are people that actually pay for the an experience. Right. Maybe it's only for a weekend or six or seven days. Um, just like, you know, there were been programs, um, that we used to fund where you'd get someone out of the city and get them in the country or get them on a farm for X amount of time. There were, we, we, you know, we would give grants towards places that would do that, give that experience. So there's value there clearly, as well as the education. I, I just think that <clears throat> we don't want to lose perspective in that, um, beyond the balance sheet, there are things that... Did your grandfather farm? Yes. Did there are things your grandfather couldn't yet integrate or make a part of the farming process because it didn't exist yet. It needed the next generation. The link was your dad, right? Right. He was right. able to bring that. And then what you and your siblings or whoever you're going to are going to bring something new. There's always going to be different things that can be added as things are passed down. I think that's some of the beauty there. But then the rest of us, like those of us at Fun Fit and Fasting, we get to be recipients or right. beneficiaries of that quality farming. Your farm represents a host of others around the country, and that's what's exciting. I'll never, ever shop in the store the same. I'll never even cook without me thinking about that process of what goes into it, rather than mm -hmm. just grabbing an artificial, quick, fast food burger or something. I get a chance to have a whole different experience now just from this conversation, this dialogue. Yeah. And yep. that's good. I mean, if one consumer, I mean, if each of us can have that impact, mm -hmm. what starts to happen to our food chain? What start, I mean, just like you, I mean, just like to your testimony to your change of life and the things you're consuming and fasting and the protein component. I mean, it, it, it's it's a way of life that's very doable and workable, you know, and we- Right, but if you had told me 10 years ago, I'd have said, no way, that's not possible. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah. right. You know, there's a season for everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how about it, right? <laughs> well, for for us men, usually that maturity is way later in life. You girls get that stuff early, but uh, I was not in a mature state. And in, 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 uh, George would tell you, I'm like, nah, bro, that's for girls. He says, you don't eat that way? I said, no, that's for girls, man. I need my sugar, bro. I got to have my sweets. And I need my bread. I'm a, I love subs. I love pizzas. You know, way in the world, you're going to have us making our own bread. And lo and behold, the quality of life that occurred in my first 30 days of just letting it go and replacing it with substitutes, which I didn't think was possible, was game changer. And I feel like I could be around to see my grandkids grow older and be able to graduate from high school or get married. And I didn't think, I didn't see that in my future before because I, my, I'm from, my parents are from the other generation, right? right. I never met my grandparents because they were dead before I was born, right? right. My, mo my mom's mother died at 40 and her, her dad died at 41 and a half, right? And these people just didn't live long back in those days. My, my dad did. My dad lived to be 87, but my mom was diagnosed with dementia at 58. So right. I didn't ever saw myself in this grandfather role, but it's possible now. 
right. because of a change in lifestyle. And we're educating ourselves in things like what we're learning now, just about meat, because I wouldn't have known. I would just go and grab it, said steak, grab it. It said pork chops, just grab it. And now there's a lot more to it. To think about the genetics, the feeding, the grazing, that 14 to 18 month span of the of their life life cycle. I think about, I'm going to think about it all now, and certainly I'm going to ask different questions. And probably, I should say probably, but we go to the farmers market a lot. But now I won't be just going for uh, yeah. a hot no. meal. I get to ask the right questions. A local beef producer or somebody else that you can make that connection and know about what they have and you know you can try different types of breeds and you know we brought up about wagyu cattle and you know they've got more marbling so some people like that you know again um breeds do bring different characteristics and so again i mean we don't all have to like the same thing we just want to have options and know and understand to appreciate it and so again i feel like yeah, there's room at the table for all of us. And that's kind of something that in agriculture, I think we've been such independent entrepreneurs. Farmers are very, very independent. You know, ranchers, farmers, um, we're, we'll help each other, but mm-hmm. we're not the best team players or we, we really take competition. Like I'm competing against you and you're competing right. against you know what I mean, but at the same time, we're really not. We're really working to feed America and other countries. And we just want to have enough, you know, we want to get paid a fair wage for our products and we want to be able to keep our land and keep the things, you know, to, to minimize how expensive everything is, but keep it there for our kids to possibly have if they want to. And so um, that gets tougher and tougher. You know, I told you, my dad didn't grow up having a farm. He bought it. His dad died at 14. He, he oh, had some wow. We, we had some health issues in our family and okay. my dad, he felt like a legacy was, I want to leave my kids something. I want you to leave these grandkids something and I want them to understand what the land means. And so the value of it was more than just property and dollars and an inheritance. It was a legacy of education and it was a legacy of working hard and having an ethic and providing something for your fellow neighbor and for yourself and being proud of that. And that's, that's the whole part of it that I feel like embodies what we have. And for a lot of small producers in this country. Wow. So John and Kay, this is what I love about your, I think you called it the DJ Horton way, right? Um, From what I remember and the whole philosophy about you know, the land and um, this wonderful resource that we have. And it's not to be taken for granted. And um, the whole giving back part that you've talked about, I know you haven't talked about it in great detail, but, you know, getting back to your website and looking through that. And I, I think it's just wonderful, the the philosophy that you and your family have. Um, Share with our audience as far as how they can do online, if you don't mind, because I think that's real important. Um, we have a very simple website. <laughs> Again, remember, we wear a lot of hats and so not always too well, but uh, we have a very simple, we have a simple website. Tied to our square accounts, since we do sell at the farmer's market, we're very, we use square, obviously. But uh, we have a simple website, djhortonfarms.com. Um, mm-hmm. And 
I, I have a, so we do have a social media a lot, a lot of times though I'll post on mine and then I'll switch it over to DJ Horton farms. Um, and again, you know, after talking to you guys, you kind of, you had me brainstorming. I actually went ahead and I'm probably going to have a veterinary camp for kids, um, spring break. Um, so you had me thinking, of course we talked about a bougie beef tasting. So I'm, I'm trying to work on that for the summer. That's exciting. Um, we are going to do maybe a no idea. It's going to be down about that time. Do you ever have? Oh, you know, I, I will make sure that I am down about that time. Now listen, now listen to this one. This is one for 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 Tanya that I want her to do. I want to do hula with the heifers, and instead, <laughs> instead of yoga. Instead of yoga, yeah. I want to do hula, hula lessons with the heifers in the background. That's <laughs> He's cool. got to, instead of instead of like you know, of course grass skirts. You know, it'll be mm. great. So I was like, going, yeah. we can do hula with the heifers, and I can have oh, I love it. I love it. Hula, hula skirt action. So you had my mind kind of thinking. So. Uh, I had a person kind of put me on the spot. She has some younger kids that want to be veterinarians. And so we're going to do a one day camp where the kids will get to come and try some stuff and actually work with the animals, do some things that are pretty safe. Those are only um, local like, kids, right? Well, well, you can fly them down here. I'll pick them up at the airport. Well, I'm saying in case we want to actually <laughs> share that with our constituents, that it's something that's available for a short window. You know, I don't know. Uh, well, you know, I kind of feel like we're we're going to do some little trial and error. So yeah. I, I get off. I have spring break off. And so I thought I would try to do some one day Love thing. It. That's cool. Kind of see how they go. Um, we're working on an agritourism package and some other stuff. You got me thinking because we have a tiny cabin. So I'm thinking I'm going to do a little VRBO or a package. You can come stay. And here's what would be included. So you have like my mind. City slickers have my mind reeling. I have a hundred days with a bunch of goals in it. So I may be calling you back on the podcast and going, all right, boys. Well, we, we will definitely have you back for sure. Because I know there's a lot more information that, that I think our audience needs to hear and you can share. So absolutely. Well, so. I, even so, I still think, you know, I want you to keep this in mind that what you guys offer there, the experience would be phenomenal for people. I already saw it on your, your social media. You do things related to exercise while you're on the farm. Give, mm -hmm. give some people an experience for a three-day weekend, a four-day weekend, to have that farm experience, whatever that would cost to come. It would include meals or something, but make right. it phenomenal, especially if they have their own RV or something. You could set it up where we could come. I'm sorry, I keep, I'm inviting myself, forgive me. <laughs> we, we can come and we can be ready, have that experience and get that workout and go back with biceps and everything. Because we right. saw you with your uh, with your fence pull, your, your, yeah. your fence post data. Yeah. I post to, I could have used you this weekend. I put in, we put in some more of those on oh some fence. <laughs> Actually, I would enjoy, I, I love, my, my mom, my mom and dad were slave drivers, if you will. <laughs> so I grew up with that. We, we, even though we lived in the city, they would rent, they would lease land and they would get to till and dig all, we'd right. make crops and everything. I'm like, why do you do that? We could just go to the store, man. Those days are over, right. man. Why are right. you killing us with that? So all year long, we had to always do that get up with the, you know, mm -hmm. what, and just go out and work on mm -hmm. that stuff. So, but I, I do miss it. And I think it would be enjoyable for a lot of our colleagues because we lose, the more we live in a metropolitan area, the less active we can be. You can only do so much in the house. You can walk around the neighborhood a few times, 
But that's right. not nearly the type of level of consistent intensity that's needed. It would be great to at least once or twice a year to have an experience like the kind of things that you guys do. Just wanted to put it yeah. out there. Yeah, we would we we're we're open to it. We're definitely we're definitely moving in that direction of some other things. I think it's I think it's like anything else. You know, you're you're afraid of what you don't know and you're afraid yeah. of not tried. And so it's kinda like you just gotta get on that diving board, jump yep. in. Once again, you guys heard it here. We just had an opportunity to speak with someone on the front lines with our agricultural um, I would say the agricultural foothold around the world, right here in the United States, in South Central Oklahoma. I've had the great <laughs> pleasure of talking with John and Kay, and I don't know about you, but I have been not just educated, but I'm inspired to take my time and really see the connection between our healthy lifestyles and the potential of our healthy lifestyles and what goes on in a farm, who's responsible for the majority of what any of us eat. Thank you, John Kay, for being here. Thank you so much for taking the time out. You didn't have to do that knowing that you not just are responsible for this farm. You work full time ensuring that your your gift and your responsibility to teach is still there. And, and still, you've taken the time out. George, any last words for our amazing guest? No, I just appreciate John Kay, you coming on and sharing. And I I... Every time I talk to you, I learn something new. So um, it's it's always appreciated. And I think our audience has at least learned a, a few gold nuggets that they can take with them. And, and again, what, what we're all about, as we've already talked about, is it's it's you need to do what's right for you, right? right. As we already talked about, every person is different, but there is something that you can always learn to uh, live better, live healthier, to... Uh, be the best version of yourself. So, um, John and Kay, thank you for sharing. Really appreciate that. Well, thank you for having me. You've heard it here. We've had the amazing John and Kay on with us. And guess what? We'll have her back. God bless you guys. We'll catch you on the next episode. Take, care. Right. Take care, everyone. Take care.